Well, church, you may be seated. My name is Chris Gomes, and I serve as one of the pastors here at Hagerstown Church, and it is a joy to be able to gather with you this morning. Uh, this uh, is the Sunday that typically uh, all senior pastors in American evangelical churches take the day off. And uh, I heard an associate pastor of another church say that once, and I just kind of laughed because I thought, yeah, that's, that's a funny icebreaker. Then I became a pastor, and I learned that's sort of true. Anyway, church, here we are again at the end of another year, and we are on the verge of a year. I don't know about you, but 2021 has felt a bit like an extension of 2020, as if 2020 didn't really end, and it kind of just uh, poured over into another, uh, another year. But a new year often brings with it fresh optimism. And I am certain that in this new year, we will all have certain goals that we hope to challenges that we hope to overcome. I say that as older and have celebrated more new years, while years have changed, there is one thing that I have learned about myself that has not changed. And that's my need to continue to ever more mature. Whatever the Lord will bring in 2022, brothers and sisters, my hope for you is the same for myself. And that is to grow ever more mature in Jesus Christ and to treasure Him above all else. A new year inevitably also brings with it some new opportunities. And I want to encourage you to look at some of the challenges that we might face as opportunities. I am not a proponent of positive thinking, but I do think there will be some fresh opportunities in 2022. Here are a couple of opportunities that we can celebrate. Beginning in January, as, uh, as Brad shared with you uh, in the beginning of the service, we're going to be starting a new sermon series on our core values as a church. Uh, every group of people can be identified by certain things that they value. And so the same goes for churches. And so we will be uh, starting a five-week sermon series through the month of January on our core values as a church. Additionally, in addition to our general Bible reading plan, many of you know that we've been reading through the F260 plan, uh, so we will be reading the Bible together as a church. We want to invite you to read the Bible. We want to be good students of God's Word. Now, in addition to uh, the general church-wide reading plan, your elders have curated for you several other additional uh, Bible reading plans to provide you with more options and more opportunities to you know, maybe you've read the F60 plan and you're wanting to uh, kind of accelerate your reading plan a little bit more. Well, we've got a few options. Maybe you're looking for something a little bit more in-depth. Well, we've got options as well. Maybe you really want to have a very advanced reading plan and you want to read 10 chapters a day and be done with uh, reading through the Bible in 90 days, uh, like Professor Grant Horner. Well, that is available. But let me encourage you, whatever reading plan that you're uh, hoping to jump the Bible together. Let's read it together. The New Year is also a great opportunity for you to join a discipleship group or a life group. If you are looking at your calendar and trying to map out priorities that you might have in this new year, let me invite you to join a discipleship group. So be interested. Uh, a separate men and women's book reading group uh, where uh, both groups will be reading through Rudum's Bible doctrine in 2022. So if you've been hungering to understand 
importance of the Christian faith in a more systematic manner and you, you want to dive into the text, come join one of these uh, two book reading groups. They will be gender exclusive. Uh, we'll also be uh, holding every other month, as Brad shared earlier, uh, a separate men's prayer breakfast and a women's prayer breakfast. Uh, and so if you need some help trying to figure out how can I get plugged in and, 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 and dive community here at Hagerstown Church, just reach out and be happy because there's going to be lots of opportunities for us to engage in meaningful community with one another in 2022. So really looking forward to what's in our church. But before we jump into 2022, we are going to temporarily jump back into our study in Mark for this Sunday morning. So we'll be looking at Mark chapter 13 verses 14 to 31. So we just wrapped up a, a, a series through uh, uh, Advent. Uh, we uh, are going to be starting a new sermon series through our core values. Well, this Sunday, we're going to jump back into Mark chapter 13. I jokingly shared with a friend that on Friday evening, Pastor John preached on peace with God and peace with everyone and peace for eternity. This morning, about the abomination of desolation and but in God's sovereignty, destruction will lead to peace. All fits together. Now, a few uh, uh, pastoral thoughts before we jump in. I do want to share this. Our passage this morning is generally considered to be one of the more controversial passages in the Bible because. It's related to the signs of the end of the age and the return of Christ. And so in many American churches, the return oftentimes lead to frustration, confusion, and just general around uh, disunity. Now, sometimes passages like these, uh, related times, uh, pr- passages uh, related to prophetic language, straightforwardly can be difficult to and understand. Sometimes people get confused, other times people get angry or frustrated when their cherished interpretation is questioned or if there's disagreement. Before we jump in, there are two things to consider that I believe will benefit all of us uh, as we find the word before us. Number one, we should remember that all word, no matter how debated, deserves our attention. When we read our take note, Jesus wants his disciples to understand his words. Not if you are to dismiss passes like this, because it's maybe confusing or maybe a little bit over your head, don't dismiss God's word. Lean in. Don't let your confusion of God's word lead you to the neglect of God's word. Neglect of God's word will inevitably lead you to the neglect of God himself. Number two, if we find that others disagree with our interpretation of certain theological position, specifically here, eschatological events, we ought to be quick to extend grace and charity and patience with those who disagree with us. Now, if you run in those rare circles where nobody disagrees with you, invite me in there. If you need any sort of motivation to charity and grace and patience, let me encourage you to think about how God has disagreed 
with you, yet how God has extended grace and charity to you. So, as a church, the basis of our unity is not our eschatological positions. Rather, the basis of our unity is the fact that Jesus Christ is the Son of God who created all things, sustains all things, and makes all things new. The basis of our unity, dear friends, is Jesus Christ, who is the Son of God who was born of the Virgin Mary and lived among us. He was crucified. He died as a substitute for our sins. He was buried, and on the third day, he rose again. The basis of our unity is Jesus Christ, who ascended into heaven, who now sits at the right hand of the Father, who will come again in glory and judgment. It is Jesus Christ who is the basis of our unity as a church. So, pastoral thoughts aside, let's now turn to God's thoughts. Mark chapter 13, verses 14 to 31. If reading the Bible is new to you, the Gospel of Mark is the second book in the New Testament. Uh, the larger numbers are the chapter numbers, and the smaller numbers are the verse numbers. If you don't have a Bible, we have extra copies available to you. Uh, you can also follow along on the screen I read. Mark 13, verses 14-1. This is God's Word. But when you see the abomination of desolation, he ought not to be, let the reader then let let the one who his house to take anything and let the one who will not turn back his cloak and allow women who are pregnant and for infant those days pray that it may not happen in winter for in those days there will be tribulation as has not been from the beginning of the creation that God created until now and never will be and if the lord had not cut short the days no human being would be saved but for the sake of the elect, whom he chose, he shortened the days. And then if anyone says to you, look, here is the Christ, or look, there he is, do not believe it. False Christs and false prophets will and perform signs and wonders to lead astray, if possible, the elect. But be on guard. I have told you things beforehand. But in those days, after that tribulation, the sun will be darkened, and the stars will be falling from heaven, and the powers in the heavens will be shaken. And then we'll see the Son of Man coming in clouds with great power and glory. And then he will send out the angels and gather his elect from the four winds, from the ends of the earth to the ends of the heaven. From the fig tree, learn its lesson. As soon as the branch becomes tender and puts out its hand, is near. So, so also. When you see these things take place, you know that he is near at the very gates. I say, this generation will not pass away until all these things take place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my word will not pass away. Friends, our main idea from this passage is not so much a specific theological position that we ought to land on. Rather, the main idea that this text is leading us to is this, rest assured in the Son of Man's words. Rest assured in the Son of Man's words. We're going to look at three specific observations from Mark 13, and then we're going to do this. We're going to consider how we as Christians are 
wait for Christ. So if you have a pen, right? Go ahead. We're going to look at observations. First, we'll look at the abomination of desolation. Then we'll we'll look at is the lesson of the fig tree. And then we'll consider how we are for Christ. Jesus' word to his disciples is a clarion call for the church today to rest assured in the Son of Man's words. Now before we jump in and really unpack this text, some context around the passage will help us, especially since we've been out of the Gospel of Mark in the last several weeks. Now, in Mark chapter 13, verse 1, if you look up a couple of paragraphs, we're shown Jesus came out of the temple. Now, a couple of parallel passages that you want to take note of, Matthew 24 and Luke 21, uh, uh, basically tell a similar retelling of Mark's account in Mark chapter 13. Now, if we look at one of those parallel passages Matthew, we're shown not just that Jesus left the temple, but we're shown how Jesus left the temple. And that's very important. In Matthew 23, verses 37 to 39, we're shown Jesus lamenting over Jerusalem and then finally leaving the temple. But what's going on in the beginning of Mark 13 than just a simple exit? Jesus' thing of echoes Ezekiel's vision of the glory of the Lord back in Ezekiel chapter 11. Now, one of the reasons why we as a church uh, value year-long reading of the Bible to the end of the Bible reading plans is because it helps us to see not just the thread of redemptive history, but it helps us to see specific events that's going to be recalled and be brought back to our minds by the Lord Jesus himself in the New Testament. So, if you need an encouragement, the beginning of the end, Jesus valued that, and we will benefit also from the things that Jesus valued. So, why are we talking about Ezekiel chapter 11? In Ezekiel chapter 11, we are shown that God had abandoned the temple. The very place in which his presence would dwell for the good of his people and for their worship, Ezekiel chapter 11 shows judgment God had abandoned. Here in both Mark's recounting and Matthew's recounting, we're shown a similar image, an image that is being echoed from the pages of old. The Lord has departed the temple once again. Jesus' confirms the concept of judgment on the current generation in Israel. So, after he came out of the temple, we're shown that the disciples were marveling at the whole structure. But, Jesus didn't share their awe. Instead, Jesus promised that the temple was going to be completely wiped out. I thought I'd something like this when a friend of mine, really he was a boss, shared with me a new sports car he bought, and he's bragging and boasting about the sports car sitting outside, and we're all in the break room, and I looked out there and I said, yeah, but you have liability insurance. Doesn't that mean something? Right? Now, I proved to him at the moment I was the kind of friend you don't want to share new things with, right? <laughs> Jesus isn't doing what I did. Jesus is pointing his disciples to something that's coming. Jesus promised that the temple that they were uh, 
at was going to be completely wiped out. So, all of this context is important to understand the rest of what Jesus will say in the rest of the chapter. Now, naturally curious, James, John, and Andrew, they all asked Jesus privately, maybe not to be embarrassed publicly, asked him privately what this meant and when this would happen. So, we see in verses 5 through 13, Jesus proceeded to give them various signs of the end of the age. Now, what would be the clearest sign that the disciples ought to pay attention to? Well, the clearest sign would be, to our first we read in verse 14. Jesus said, but when you see the of desolation standing where he ought not to be, let me quickly make one quick comment. It's great to understand. There's two, uh, two primary ways you can think about this. This is either Jesus speaking to the disciples and saying, hey, you have read the text of the Old Testament, or it could be Mark. Don't be confused. Why is Jesus speaking and then telling his listeners, hey, let the reader understand? Wouldn't he say, understand? A couple of ways that we can understand that. Now, then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Passage in verse 14, Jesus a warning. There's a clear sign that he uses this phrase, the nation of desolation. Right? Real hopeful language uh, post-Christmas time and uh, pre-New Year. The abomination of desolation. It's not really familiar language in our vernacular, but this was a phrase actually comes from a vision seen by the Old Testament prophet Daniel. Here's another reason in the new year is going to be beneficial. Jesus is using, a lang- is, is using familiar language from the Old Testament prophet Daniel. Daniel used this phrase in three different places. Daniel chapter 9, verse 7, chapter 11, verse 31, again in Daniel chapter 12, verse 11. So, phrase, and you've got to keep in mind, Jesus' listeners are not not 21st century modern Western evangelicals. His listeners are students of the Old Testament. So, they're going to be very familiar with the kind of language Jesus is using. Now, for us, that one could understand this phrase, abomination. We all understand with it a negative connotation. Some scholars referring to Coming sometimes when Second Thessalonians chapter two verse fourteen. Right? Other scholars believe that domination prophecy was actually fulfilled in the past in one sixty eight B.C. when the temple in Jerusalem was defiled by the Syrian general Antiochus the Fourth. So, if you're a history book, Antiochus the Fourth erected an altar to Zeus on the altar of burnt offering and then sacrificed a mother pig on the altar, leading to a massive Jewish revolt. Scholars believe Daniel's prophecy was fulfilled in 40 AD by the Roman Emperor Caligula. Uh, very interesting name, Caligula. The famous uh, Jewish historian Josephus recorded how uh, this Roman emperor attempted to erect statues of himself in the temple in Jerusalem and be worshipped as a god. Now, few different ways to understand what 
was me. I believe, though, there is Daniel's language, referring to an event that was a lifetime of this Jewish historian Josephus wrote about a revelation that would come around 70 AD, one that he actually personally witnessed. So according to Josephus, Josephus being a historian, an inspired author of biblical historian, he wrote about a temple the Roman later turned emperor. From historical records, Rome deployed their forces to Jerusalem to put a decisive end to the Jewish rebellions. If you're trying to manage an organization, there's fire. You, head of that organization, are probably going to grow a little impatient with constant rebellions. Right? I'm not justifying what the uh, Roman leadership did. But Titus was deployed forces to squash the Jewish rebellions. He directed to erect a defensive perimeter of Jerusalem where the soldiers would literally encircle the entire city. So wherever you turned, there's, uh, there's danger, there's harm. Now, why is that little tidbit important? In Luke chapter 21, verse 20, which is our uh, other parallel passage, said in verse 20, but when you see Jerusalem surrounded by armies, then know that its desolation has come near. It would appear that Jesus knew what was coming. If you ever need any encouragement to trust Christ, then know that Jesus is omnipotent. He knows everything that's ever happened. He knows everything that is happening now. And he knows everything that will ever happen in the future. Jesus in Luke chapter 21 verse 20 and or in Mark chapter 13 appears to be talking about the devastation of Jerusalem as divine judgment. Now, why is this uh, probably the case? Well, we know devastated Jerusalem for five long months. Records show that people fled from the countryside and the villages and they packed themselves into the city because of the protective wall that was built around the city. That was the conventional wisdom, right? But Jesus warns against the conventional wisdom. He said that when you see the abomination of desolation, when you see the armies surrounding the city, that's your cue to flee to the mountains, right? Titus's campaign resulted in the one million Jews, over 100,000 Jews were enslaved, not to mention the devastation of the city Completely to be rebuilt. However, that not a single Christian perished. Christians took the words of Christ seriously. Else we see after 70 AD, we see the end of Jewish ruling councils. And Christianity is no longer seen as a of sectarian. Christians are now recognized as their own people. Now, uh, it, hold various things and perspectives on this. I just want to share a few reasons. Likely happened in 70 AD with the destruction of the temple. 
First, immediate context in Matthew 23, 24, and 13 pertains to God's coming judgment on the current generation of Israel. Some want to think that this is God's coming judgment on a future generation. The context is actually speaking more immediately, and we'll unpack that later. Second, in response to the disciples in the beginning of Mark, Jesus was not referring to the destruction of a temple standing thousands of years in, the, in Jerusalem. He was speaking directly regarding the present. Notice how Jesus said in response to his, his disciples, these great buildings. So he's speaking immediately. Finally, this is probably the most important uh, piece of information uh, to consider why Jesus is likely speaking about the immediate context. The word that Jesus uses for this generation in verse 30 is used 27 times in Mark's gospel, and it never once is regarding uh, a general race or speaking about a group of people in the future. The word Jesus specifically uses is always used to reference Jesus' contemporaries. So why would Jesus be speaking about a is directly speaking about an immediate generation? So, he is, he is most likely referring to his contemporaries, not future people, but those who are. That's a lot of historical information, but it helps us to see that Jesus was likely referring to an event that would occur in the lifetime of his hearers. And by this point, likely in 40 years uh, that this event would occur. So, if Jesus is speaking about something that is going to happen in the near future, the hastiness of verses 15 through 18 fits like a glove, right? Because he's using very specific, immediate, direct language. He says in verses 15 through 18, Let the one who is on the housetop not go down, nor enter his house to take anything out. It's an interesting language there, housetop. Jewish houses in the first century literally had flat roofs, and the buildings were so you can literally walk across the house tops and entrances into the house on the rooftops. So you could go down through the housetop. But Jesus is using familiar, specific language here. He says, let the one who is on the housetop not go down nor enter his house to take anything out. And let the one who is in the field not turn back to take his cloak. Now he's using even more specific language here. He says, and alas, for women who are pregnant and for those who are nursing infants in those days... Pray that it may not happen in winter. So again, more speci very specific language here. Jesus warned his listeners to flee with haste. That's the point here. Jesus is saying flee with haste. He warned that the difficult days that were coming, you should pay attention because here is your escape plan. And he continues in verses, for in those days there will be such tribulation as has not been from the beginning of the creation that God created until now and had not cut short the days no human being would be he shortened the days notice how in this particular uh, couple of verses Jesus is not only demonstrating his own mercy by warning listen danger is coming and watch out pay attention he's also highlighting the father's mercy by showing that the Father shortened the days of the great suffering that is going to come. So God literally embodies mercy 
and extends mercy. Jesus again here emphasized the intensity of the coming days that for the sake of God's elect, God will not abandon them, but in fact, he has shortened the time of And then quickly here in verses 21 to 23, Jesus continues his series of words. He warned of the coming of false Christs and false prophets. And then if anyone says to you, look, Christ, or look there, do not believe it. He's not mincing words. Jesus says, False Christ and false prophets are going to come. They're going to try to lead you astray, but you have heard my words. Do not believe them. There was one particular false Christ who in 2018, uh, I can't pronounce his name, Ken Karen, formerly of the South Carolina, he was arrested in 2018, and when he was, ar- he was arrested specifically because uh, of killing his mother's dog. When the police him, he allegedly told the police officer, God told me to do this because I am Christ. He continues with his alleged confession saying that God told him that a sacrifice would be needed and blood must be spilled every time. 18 in 2021, going to 2000, false prophets. The warning still rings true today. Do not believe them. Jesus knew that Todd Kincaren would likely come, not, would definitely come, warned his disciples, do not believe false prophets like this. So, nation of desolation. Jesus doesn't leave us simply with uh, the news that destruction would come and the temple would be destroyed. Our second option, the coming of the Jesus continues in verses 24 to 27. He says, Those days after the sun will be dark, the moon will not give its light, and the stars will be falling, and then they will see the Son of Man in clouds with great power and glory. And then he will send out the angels and gather his elect from the four from the earth to the ends of the heaven. These verses are difficult to interpret. Read this passage and assume that Jesus is referring to his final coming at the close of history. But, to think more in the perspective of his Old Testament listeners, because the context seems to speak otherwise. Uh, one pastor was helpful uh, in his uh, uh, comments on this. He said that verses 24 to 27 are not a literal description of the second coming, but a symbolic portrayal of the fall of Jerusalem and the destruction of the temple in the colorful language of Old Testament prophecy. Remember, Jesus was speaking to a people saturated by Old Testament language, concepts, and imagery from the earliest memorized and were taught. Thus, when Jesus spoke to them of things coming, or things of things to come, he used the prophetic vocabulary of the Old Testament, which they would instantly. Consequently, if we are to the meaning of Mark 13, we must read and interpret them through what Jesus' listeners would have had a biblical lens, i.e., an Old Testament lens. Now, this is really important. 
about Old Testament prophetic language. I don't know about you, but uh, sometimes uh, you, you may be testament gloss over colorful but jesus really valued the old testament and this language that we see uh, we, examples in pending judgment of and he says pay close attention uh, to both isaiah's words and to jesus's words in mark 13 for the stars of the heavens and their constellations will not give their light. The sun will be dark at its rising, and the moon will not shed its light. Sounds kind of familiar, right? It's, it seems like Isaiah is saying, uh, using similar language that Jesus used in uh, Mark 13. Well, Ezekiel, uh, in Ezekiel, we see the impending destruction of Egypt, right? And uh, Ezekiel writes, uh, Speaking of the Lord, when I blot you out, I will cover the heavens and make their stars dark. I will cover the sun with a cloud, and the moon shall not give its light. All the bright light of heaven I will make dark over you and put darkness on your land, declares the Lord God. So, very colorful language. If we read this literally, you would think that time and space is literally coming to a, a standstill. The sun is going to be dark will not give its light. But how are we to understand these verses? Jesus appears to be using the same kind of symbolic prophetic language employed in the Old Testament. So while it's natural to assume that Jesus is referring to fantastic astronomical activity, it may be better to assume that he is symbolically, that he's using symbolically familiar language to predict the coming judgment of God. Now, 26. So Jesus says, and then they will pointing to another and then they will see the Son of Man coming in cloud great power and glory. So, first glance reading, I don't know about you, but uh, when I read this, the f- immediate image is Jesus standing on clouds, descending. He's floating on clouds and he's coming down. Maybe that's the kind of imagery that comes to your mind as well. Now, let me encourage you again. Think of the Old Testament. Jesus, in this brief verse, is quoting Old Testament prophecy. He's actually quoting Daniel's prophecy in Daniel chapter 7. This is what Daniel said. Daniel chapter 7, verses 13 to 14. I saw in the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven, there came one like a son of man, And he came to the Ancient of Days and was presented before him. And to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away. His kingdom, one that shall be destroyed. So, Jesus, already been said. But notice here, not just referring to general comments being made in the Old Testament, he is pointing his listeners now to what has been said about him back to me and pay attention for what you will see then. What is Jesus getting at by quoting the same message that we must understand today that Daniel's passage 
is all about Jesus. Uh, Sam Storms was very helpful for me in my study here. He says this about Daniel's vision. This is a vision not about a descent from heaven to earth, not about the second coming of the Son of Man at the but rather a vision of the Son of Man in heaven coming to the Ancient of Days to receive His kingdom. A new kingdom, a new everlasting dominion is being established to replace the failed of previous empires. Daniel's vision was all about Jesus, all about Jesus, the Son of Man, in heaven, coming to the Ancient of Days, God the Father, to receive His kingdom. And Christian, has made you weary. You are likely tired. Sin is hard. Life has not been easy. We want better days to come. But friend, not only are better days coming, I am not promising you that better days will come tomorrow in Friend, if you are in Christ, better days are coming for you in heaven. The kingdom that the Son of Man has received from God the Father is one that you in Christ inherit and share in, if you are in Christ. The best resolution that we may have in 2022-2023, until the Lord returns or takes us home, may simply be to treasure this Christ The Son of Man is coming. He has received His kingdom. Now, back to uh, Jesus. Jesus using this language of the Old Testament, that the Son of Man coming to the ancient days, receiving His kingdom, very important to consider. Jesus' words are further confirmed by His own words. In Matthew 26, verse 64. If you have a pen, underline the verse, circle it, make it. Jesus, before Caiaphas the high priest and the Jewish council, he says he is being wrongfully questioned. He says, but I tell you, from now on, you will see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of power and coming on the clouds of heaven. Now, why is this verse important? Well, one said this. Jesus is using Daniel 7 as a prediction of that authority which he exercised when in AD 70, the Jewish nation and its leaders who had condemned him were overthrown and Jesus was vindicated as the recipient of all power from the ancient of days. So not only has Jesus given sufficient warning and information to his disciples to be prepared to come, Jesus is speaking to the teachers of the law and telling them, I will be vindicated even in the midst of your condemnation. Jesus would be vindicated. Jesus would be exalted after his death and resurrection to receive his everlasting This vindicated Jesus will display it within the generation by an act of judgment on the nation and the capital of the authorities who presume to judge him. Then they will see for themselves their time of power is finished and it is to him that God has given all power in heaven and earth. 
Our third observation, dear friends, is the lesson of the fig tree. Logical content of the Old Testament, masterful teacher of the word he is, he teaches using the fig tree. Uh, to be uh, transparent, I couldn't think of a, uh, a, a better illustration, but Jesus sure did, and he used a fig tree that was standing in front of him. Finally, verses 28 to 31. He uses this example of a fig tree to drive home his point. What is his point? is the point of all of these signs that will come? Is Jesus giving us a map to pinpoint exactly where we ought to go and the end is coming? Is Jesus giving us uh, clues that, like Tom Hanks, we should be able to figure out that will lead us to pleasure? Jesus is driving the point. We are to rely upon Jesus' words and signs. Whatever is to come, Whatever might happen, whatever destruction or damage or danger would be facing them, they were to rest assured in Jesus' words. Jesus had sufficiently given his disciples all that they need to know and all that they would need to do. And it's this. They're to rely upon his words and trust what he has said will indeed happen. They're simply to lie. That makes me a little fidgety because I want to go do something. But Jesus' words to us and Jesus' words to us are the same. We're to simply rely upon the Son of Man's words. We are to be rest, we are to rest assured in the words of the Son of Man. Just like when the fig blossoms, they know that summer is uh, near, so when they would see these things, they could be rest assured, they could be resting assured. The Lord is near. The temple would pass away. The A.D. The city would pass away. False prophets and false would and will continue to pass away. But dear saints, assured, the Son of Man's words will never pass away. His words will never pass away. That is the long answer to the disciples' short question. So where do Southern Baptist preachers get their long-windedness from? I would like to believe it comes from the Lord himself. But what does this mean for us now? Modern, 21st century Americans who drive to church, who will be working from home, maybe, tomorrow. What does this mean for us today? As we continue in Mark's gospel uh, later on in 2022, Spoiler alert, we are going to see that Jesus will die, he will be buried, he will on the third day rise again, and he will ascend to the Father in heaven. We will see Jesus establishing the church. We will see the next 2,000 years the church growing, the kingdom expanding. But what are we to do? Have you ever wondered what God's will is for your life? What, what does God want me to do? Should I take this job? Should I go to that job? Should I marry this person? Should I go move over here to this city? What should we do? What should we do as a church? I think a better question is, how should we wait for whenever the Son of Man will return? How should you together? I think the best way to answer this question is to, and also to, is by simply reading 
Colossians chapter 3, verses 1 through 17. And not only reading the passage, but meditating on these things that Paul will instruct the waiting church. And in this new year, you will have plenty of distractions and opportunities and challenges. But might I encourage you to meditate upon Paul's instructions in Colossians chapter 3, verses 1 to 17. Not only in 2022, but until the Lord returns, takes us home, hear the word of God. Since then, you have been raised with Christ. Set your things on things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on earthly things. For you have died. Your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is the wrath of God is coming. You used to walk in these ways in the life you once lived, but now you must also rid yourselves of all such things as these. Anger, rage, malice, slander, and filthy language from your lips. Do not lie to each other since you've taken off your old self with its practices and have put on the new self which is being renewed knowledge in the image of its creator. Here there is no Gentile or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, or but Christ Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive one another if any of you has a grievance against someone. Forgive as the Lord forgave you, and over all of these virtues, put on love, which binds them all together. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts as members of one body. Thankful. Let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you admonish one another with all wisdom through psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit. Singing to God with Whatever you do, whether in word, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father. In 2022, and in all the years that will be before us, until Christ returns, or we, this is how we wait. Wait together in hope and in joy in the Son of Man who brings us into his kingdom by faith in him. Let's pray. Father, we simply ask you now to fill us with hope. Lord, that you would help us as your people with great expectancy in Christ, that we would joy in Christ, and Lord, that we would hope treasuring above all else. Father, we pray that this coming year and all the years Days and years that will uh, come after would be uh, time that would be spent honoring you, glorifying you, and together people rejoicing Christ.
We ask this for your glory, for the good of your saints, for our joy as we wait together. In Jesus' name we pray.